I started to write this and it, I wrote so much I'm going to have to do over two weeks. I just would not get it done this evening. So we'll see where the Lord leads and how the Lord leads and we'll take it from there. First Peter, please, chapter 1. Is there other mics on up here maybe? I'm just booming all over the place here. First Peter, chapter 1. And we'll just read two verses. We're going to read verse 18 and verse 19. And then we'll look at other scripture also. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Notice here, verse 19, Peter mentions the precious blood of Christ. The precious blood of Christ. And he mentions the blood of Christ in distinction to silver and gold and also in distinction to the traditions received by the religious fathers and also in distinction to how they live their lives out in such said religion. Peter is telling us that our redemption, not only is our redemption bought, but it is bought at a high cost, a cost that you and I could never afford or never pay. The precious blood of Christ. Now tonight we are going to speak on seven reasons why the blood of Jesus is so precious. Seven reasons why the blood of Jesus is so precious. You see, Peter's telling us that it's not by silver nor gold, it's not by the tradition of the religious fathers, and it's not by how you live your life that saves your soul and redeems you back to God and makes you fit for heaven, for God's kingdom. How precious is the blood of Christ? Before we go to the seven points, this also could be deemed a point. Mark chapter 8, verses 36 and 37, the Lord Jesus said these words, For what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Notice, for what shall it profit a man, a woman, if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? And the Lord Jesus is speaking about this in relation to absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing can afford your soul. There's no payment, as Peter said, of silver nor of gold. There's no religion or tradition of the religious fathers that can win your soul. And there's no lifestyle that you can live that can save your soul. So take note here, Psalm 49, verses 6 to 8, as we build the case before 
we look at the seven points or the seven reasons why the blood of Jesus is so precious. Psalm 49 and verse 6 says, They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give the God a ransom for him. Verse 8, For the redemption of their soul is precious. Notice, For the redemption of their soul is precious, and it ceaseth forever. The idea here, it ceaseth forever, means the ransom feels. The ransom feels to meet the need. The ransom of man, that is, feels to reach the mark. The ransom of man feels the silver, the gold, the tradition, the lifestyle, the living, the giving, and everything that we attend to, to try and attain to the kingdom of God feels and misses the mark and it ceases forever. And that soul of that man and that woman are lost forever because their payment was due and none could meet it. You cannot redeem your brother, it says, no matter what you try to redeem him with. Notice here, the ransom fails, the price is too costly, and no amount you can ever offer will do for the price of your soul. You know, all the time we hear of people tragically taking their own lives, committing suicide, feeling worthless, feeling useless, feeling that there's no purpose for them in life anymore. And sure, who would miss me and who am I? The Lord Jesus Christ, in his own precious word, tells you your soul, the real you, the real person who is you, the real person that even your closest may not know of, who you are, your thoughts, your will, your desires, everything in you, the real man, the real woman in you, the very soul of you, the very seat of your passions. Nothing can afford you. You're very precious. You're very, very precious. You might feel the lowest of the low, the worst of the worst, but you are precious. Your soul cannot be bought with the riches put together and accumulated from the whole world. Take the silver, take the gold, take the oil, take the gas and take the bonds and take all the other things and put it together to offer for the price of your soul. Offer that you may not go to a, a lake of fire. Offer whatever it is, the amount of it, the trillions upon trillions of it, and still you're more precious. And still you're worth more than all that this world could afford. For what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? In other words, there's nothing, absolutely nothing, silver or gold or religion, ritual and ceremony, living, 
There's nothing can pay the debt of your sin. And there's nothing in this whole world can afford your soul. So then what does man do? What does a woman pay for them? So preciously held that none can redeem them and nothing can pay for them. Well, they must come to the only one and to the only thing that can redeem them and pay their debt of sin and that is to the blood of Christ on Calvary's tree. The precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter said, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. Notice, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Listen to the words in Job 33 and verse 24. Job 33 and 24. Then he is gracious unto him and saith, Deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. I'm going to read it again. Job 33 verse 24. Then he is gracious unto him and saith, Deliver him from going down to the pit. For I have found a ransom. Now if we break this verse down a little, the word here, then he is gracious unto him. It's the word chanan for gracious. Chanan for gracious. It means then he shows favor to someone. To that man and to that woman. Unworthy in our depraved state. He shows favor. It means He comes in loving pity. And so then he shows he is gracious unto him and saith, deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. Brothers and sisters, do you realize that it took heaven to be searched for there was none worthy upon the earth It took heaven, as it were, to be searched out to find who is worthy to come and redeem our souls. And the only one worthy of heaven and on earth was the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it takes to save a man. That's what it takes to save a woman. That's what it takes to redeem a soul back to God. It is the Lord Jesus Christ and his doing and dying and his rising again from the dead. Deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. I can hear the cry as it were throughout heaven. A ransom has been found throughout eternity. A ransom has been found. Is it any wonder that the angels of God rejoice in the presence of the Lord over one sinner that repents. Every time a man or a woman repent of their sin and come the saving faith of Christ, 
and they're born again of the Spirit, trusting in the blood of the Lamb, the blood of Christ. And they're washed in that blood and forgiven of their sin and sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The angels in heaven are rejoicing. You know why? Because God's sovereign will and plan is being played out in the action and another soul like you and like me has been brought from the pit and brought into God's kingdom. Take note here, brothers and sisters and friends. Hear the word here, gracious, Hanan, pity and favor. Actually, this word, Hanan, comes from a, a root Hebrew word, chin. And it actually comes in Genesis 6, memory serve me, I think it's verse 9. And Canaan the Chien means one bowing down or stooping down in kindness to an inferior. Showing favor by one who is superior, bowing down and stooping down in kindness to the inferior. Almighty God, before there was a sinner on the earth in Adam, there was a Savior in heaven in Christ. And God himself steps down in the person of Christ, bows down and stoops down in kindness to someone like me and someone like you. Then he is gracious unto him, showing favor and pity. He saith, deliver him from going down to the pit. Deliver her. I have found a ransom. By the way, Genesis 6, and I think it's 9, it says, and Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Or Noah, the word found doesn't mean Noah was looking for grace, by the way. It means grace appeared to Noah. Noah one day is going about his business and suddenly grace appears in the person of theophany word. Noah built an ark, there's going to be a flood. Noah built an ark, the time of judgment has come. And here are the measures. He said, build it, build the ark, Noah. God came down, stooped down in kindness and said, build an ark to the saving of thy house. And all that ark is a type of Christ because all who were in the ark were saved and all who are in Christ find themselves ready for heaven, ready for glory. You know, so the Lord values the soul of a man and values a soul of a woman. Only God and his goodness and grace coming down to bleed and die in the person of Christ could pay our debt of sin. To ransom our souls from destruction and to redeem us and save us through the precious blood of Christ. This is an introduction to the seven points. Now you know why I need two weeks. And I'm still not finished my introduction. Silver and gold, tradition and lifestyle could never muster enough to pay for the soul. And so Job 33 and 24, the cry is, I have found a ransom. See the word ransom, by the way, while we're there? It's the word kufr. The Hebrew word is kufr. And kufr means atonement. 
Deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found an atonement. Deliver her from going down to the pit. For I have found an atonement. An atonement means a covering. That your sin will not be found out. An atonement is a covering. That you'll not stand in your sin anymore. Deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a kufr. I have found an atonement. Now I see if you look up, and I, I'll not really maybe remember the text here. It's just off the top of my head. It went off just a little here. The word kufr is also found when the Lord comes and tells Noah to build an ark and take the bitumen, or the pitch as he calls it, and put it on the side, the inside, and on the outside. Take the pitch and tar the outside of it. Make sure you don't miss any parts of it now, Noah. Make sure it's completely covered. And to make doubly sure, do the inside after you do the outside. You've got to make sure. You've got to make certain. You've got to be definite. Make sure. Pitch it on the outside and pitch it on the inside. Cover it to pitch it. It's the word kofer. To cover it. To make atonement in it. Here's the thing, friend. Some people say, I don't know if I'm saved or not. Well, I'll ask you, are you saved? Are you saved? Well, I don't know if I'm saved. Well, then you're not saved because you know you're saved. When you're saved, you know you're saved. People may have a lack of assurance sometimes. I know that. I understand that. But deep down in their heart, they know they belong to Christ. You must make sure the pitch is on the outside and it were, as it were, the pitch is on the inside. Make it certain. Make it definite. And get under the blood and cry for mercy unto the Lord. For judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. And this earth, we think it's bad this last couple of years. This last couple of years has been bad in a sense, but I can tell you, it's nothing compared to what's on its way. And you must be ready, for there's a flood of judgment coming. God won't flood it with water, the earth that is. But he says he's coming to burn it up in fire. Take note. Peter says in verse 20 of 1 Peter chapter 1 of the Lord Jesus, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Notice who was verily foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. For me? For me? See, when I think of me, I go, for me? From before the foundation of the world, he became manifest on the cross. Why? For me. For you. Think about that. 
in all your sin, your waywardness, came for me. The worst of the worst can say, for me, if God is speaking and dealing with your heart, he came for you. In verse 19, we have the precious blood of Christ. That is the humanity of Jesus. The humanity of Jesus. In verse 19 again, we blemish sinless character and nature of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. In verse 20, we have the eternal deity of Jesus before the foundation of the world. And in verse 20, we have the perfect revelation of Jesus, but he was manifest for you. Listen to the saying of Puritan John Hoey. Puritan John Hoey. Now listen to this. The wrong that man had done to the divine majesty should be expiated by none but man and could be by none but God. I want to say it again that you'll get it. The wrong that man had done to the divine majesty should be expiated by none but man but could be by none but God. Let me put it simply to you. Our sin we should have paid for. Our debt should have been an eternal debt of everlasting fire in Revelation 20. You never pay the debt. That's why it's eternal. You'll never pay with silver and gold and tradition and family values. You'll never pay with the world's riches nor all your abilities and talents and gifts. That's why the lake of fire is eternal. Because you rejected the payment of your debt through the blood of Christ. And hence you're in an eternal misery and punishment forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. If I was to pay my punishment, that's where I would have been pay for the debt of my sin. That was my punishment. I should be expiated by man because man is the guilty one. But could only be expiated by God himself. Because he is the eternal one. Clothed in flesh and precious to us. So, brothers and sisters and friends, I'll maybe do a point or two, then we'll round it up. In our reading, in verse 18, 1 Peter 1, verse 18, for as much as you know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, the precious blood of Christ 
the precious blood of Christ. I'm going to say it again. The precious blood of Christ. Pure blood. Sinless blood. Perfect blood. Undefiled blood. Holy blood. The precious blood of Christ. The word precious that Peter uses is the word timios. And it means the valuable, so valuable blood of Christ. Objectively, something that is precious means it's costly. Subjectively, something that is precious means it's honored and highly esteemed. So we prize it, it's precious. And thirdly, figuratively, something that is precious because it's dear to us. And Christ is all three to his Father. Christ is all three to his Father. Precious in the sense he is so valuable to his Father. Subjectively, he is honored and highly esteemed by his Father. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Figuratively, he is dear. He's brought us into the kingdom of his dear son. He's dear to the father, so tenderly and dear. I ask then, what would a man give? What would a woman give in exchange for her soul? Nothing. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So seven reasons why the blood of Jesus is so precious. Reason number one. The blood of Jesus is so precious because it satisfies the wrath of God. The blood of Jesus of Romans place because it satisfies the wrath of God. Will you turn to the book of Romans, please? Romans chapter 5, if you will. And I'll get a drink while you are turning. Romans chapter 5, we'll lift out two verses, please. Verse 8 and verse 9. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that glorious? I don't know the life that you lived. Maybe you lived a good life. Maybe you lived a nice life. Maybe you lived a, or even a religious life and you thought you were all right in life. Or maybe you were like me and you had a life that's Colorful and flowery at times. Not too sweet smelling. That God commended his love toward me, toward you. That while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for us. 
while I was like that, while I sat in paramilitary Sabines full of drugs, while I got up the all manner and all sorts of things out of my head not knowing what I was doing and sometimes knowing what I was doing and doing wrong, that Christ loved me and he loved you too. See the word commendeth, it means he exhibited. He exhibited his love. And it also means to stand beside. That even when I was like that, the love of Christ stood beside me. I didn't know him, didn't care for him. Wanted nothing to do with him. But the love of Christ stood beside me. Until at the preaching of the word one time, he manifest himself through the word of God. And I saw his great love in Calvary's tree for me. Oh, like Leanne had sang, I love you. I love you. That is what Calvary says. I love you. I love you. Written in red. Written in the blood of Christ. I love you. But God commendeth his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9. Much more than being now justified, notice, by his blood. Justified by his blood. We shall be saved from wrath through him. We shall be saved from wrath The blood of Jesus is so precious because it satisfies the wrath of God. Well, maybe I'm not under wrath. If you're not in Christ, you're under wrath. If you're rejecting Christ, you're under wrath, just like I was. Well, how do we know? Listen to the words of John chapter 3 and verse 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. That's not my words. But the wrath of God abideth on him. Not my words. It's the words of the Bible. This is the famous chapter of Christ talking to a religious man. The wrath of God abideth on him. Listen to Romans chapter 1 and verse 18, please. Romans 1 verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. This is speaking of when Christ returns. The wrath of God will be revealed from heaven. Notice, the wrath of God will be revealed. How will it be revealed? Christ will be revealed. Christ is coming again. Sure, will it not all be beautiful and lovely and he's going to save the world and change the world? No. It's going to be a time of horror. It's going to be a time of dread. When men and women will shout to the hills and to the rocks, fall on us and cover us and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne. 
are not my words. It says when he returns, there's wrath coming. Revealed from heaven. In other words, Christ, who lovingly died, who lovingly shed his blood and paid the redemption price, the price that you could never pay and that I could never pay, the price that an eternal lake of fire would consume. The same Christ who lovingly shed his blood to redeem you and to redeem me is the same Christ who's coming again to reveal the wrath of God from heaven. Listen, see the word ungodliness here. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. The word here, ungodliness, is the word asibia. Asibia. And it means the wickedness of men. But listen what it also means. Upon those who have no reverence for God. You think it has to be the worst of the worst and the vile of the vile? That means those who have had no reverence for God. The word unrighteousness is the word adikia. Listen to what it means. Generally, it speaks of iniquity. It speaks of those who violate God's law. Violate God's law. The moral commandments, the Ten Commandments, God's law. Can I ask you? Do you worship 24-7, waking and sleeping? Do you honor, do you praise him 24-7? None of us do. We have broken the law. Is there anything in our life before him? Of course there is things that come into our lives and some keep them there. We've broken the law. Is there a man or a woman who's committed adultery? Oh, see them people. Well, hold on. Jesus says that if you even look at a man or a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery in your heart. You've broken the law. We've broken the law. ever stolen anything? Have you ever taken time of your boss that wasn't yours, even a phone call that you didn't ask permission to? You've broken the law. You've broken the law to steal. And I stand before God, have you ever killed? Some might say, never literally, never literally. But Jesus says, if you hate your brother, if you hate that sister in your heart, says you've committed murder in your heart and you've broken the law. You've broken the law. So when you stand before God, you stand there as a lawbreaker. Well, if we've all broken it, what must we do? That's why Christ kept the law we couldn't keep. That's why Christ came to pay the debt we couldn't pay and to live the life we couldn't live to keep the law we couldn't keep, that you and I, if we're saved and trusting in the blood of Christ, might enter the kingdom of God. 
Do you know what Jesus was actually saying when he says, if you've looked at a woman wrong, you've committed adultery in your heart? Or if you've hated your brother in your heart, you've murdered him? Do you know what he was saying? He was saying, do you know, you might not have actually killed someone or you maybe not have a, a hatred for someone the way you think. You may not have literally carried it out, but here's what he was saying. He was saying, you're actually worse than you think you are. Even if it's a thought, even if it's in the heart and it's not carried out, he said, it's as good as done and you're worse than you think you are. We all are. This man is the chiefest of sinners. This man. And I came to Christ broken and lost and undone on the broad road to destruction and on the way to a burning lake of fire. But praise God, he wouldn't let me go past the cross. And there, my sin was paid for. The blood of Jesus is so precious because it satisfies the wrath of God. One more and I'm finished and we'll do the rest, God willing, next week. Secondly, the blood of Jesus is so precious because it declares us not guilty before God. The blood of Jesus is so precious because it declares us not guilty before God. Romans chapter 3, please, while we're in the book of Romans. I've tried to keep them round about the same way that we can get there easy. Verse 21. Verse 21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ and all, and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace through redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation, notice, through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. Notice, it says here in verse 25, whom God has set forth to be the propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins. Justifiedness or yours, but Christ's righteousness. And so we are justified, being justified freely by his grace. There's that word again. To receive something we do not deserve, unmerited favor. Notice through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The word justified here is the word dechao, dechao. And it simply means to be rendered righteous, to be declared not guilty, innocent. And this word justification for justification gives the image of someone standing in the court at the dock. And there's the judge. And there's the man. There's the woman. There's me. And all the trespasses and transgressions, sin and iniquity is written in the book before him. God as he stands as the judge there before me, he would declare me guilty as charged. Ken, you're guilty. 
take them down to the broad road, to destruction, to the pit, to the lake of fire. But Christ came and paid my debt and shed his blood. And the blood of Jesus is so precious because it declares me not guilty. So the father instead of he sees the sin, he opens the book and he sees the doing and the dying and the blood of Christ. And when he sees his precious blood, he looks as it were at me the sinner through the medium who is his son Christ and the blood of Christ which I am trusting in solely. And he declares me, Ken Davidson, let him go free. He's innocent, not guilty. And I walk free into the kingdom of God, into the glory of Christ. But if I had not trusted him and I had not been saved and I'd never been to the cross by faith and believed in the blood, it would have been guilty. What is your punishment? Eternity in the pit. without God, without Christ and without hope in the world. But praise God for his precious blood, the blood of his son. So I finish with this, the blood of Jesus declares me, declares you, the saved sinner, not guilty. That's why it's so precious. Nothing else can do that, friend. There's not one thing can do that for you. Not silver and gold, not tradition, not religion, Ocean, blood of Christ. So justification is an image of a court of law. Justification solves the problem of man's guilt before a righteous judge. Redemption, we're redeemed by the blood, is an image from the slave market. Redemption solves the problem of man's slavery to sin, the world, and the devil. Man and woman who are not saved are enslaved by the devil, enslaved by their sin. They're enslaved by the things of the world. And propitiation is, means mercy seat. We looked at that this morning. It's an image from the world of religion. I'll say it again. Propitiation means mercy seat. The place you find mercy, it is an image from the world of religion trying to appease God through a blood sacrifice of an animal as they did in the Old Testament. Propitiation solves the problem of you and I offending our great creator God. Peter says, know that you're not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold received after the vain conversation and traditions of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Christ is the lamb of God, with no blemish and no spot, paid my debt. I'll tell you one thing I know. Should I drop down dead at this very second, If I dropped here in my boots, my shoes, 
And I wasn't to waken my eyes in this life again. One thing I am certain of, I am assured of. See my ark, it's got the pitch on the inside and on the out. It's got the atonement in its fullness by the washing away of my sins of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And the Father looks at me even in my imperfections right now. And he sees me through the blood, sees me through his Son. And if you're saved, you're the same. And he sees us without sin. I, I honestly, I don't know why. I can't get it. Maybe I can't grasp it, but I know it's real. I know it's true. I know it's here. It's in me. When he saved me, he changed me. He forgave me. And he's done the same for you. Are you saved tonight? If you're not saved, we're here for you to speak to us. Here to point you to Christ. Here to help you that you'll not leave without Christ. That you won't be standing before him in your sin. But you'll stand in the righteousness of Christ. The law keeper. And the blood shedder. May you do so. May you do so. For the glory of his name. Team, would you come up please?